please have this handy. We're going to be reading together from the back page some very beautiful hymns. Charles Colson, in his most recent book, The Body, and the body, of course, is the body of Christ, the church, tells this story, and I share it with you. In 1990, a good friend, a journalist for Time magazine, invited me to the White House Correspondents' Dinner, attended by the President, the Vice President, members of the Cabinet, the Supreme Court, the Congress, network anchors, national columnists, reporters, journalists of every stripe, as well as Hollywood luminaries. The dinner is one of the most prestigious annual events in Washington, D.C. Nearly everyone in the room that night was a public figure, so there was no pushing or shoving to rub shoulders with the mighty, and there were no autograph seekers. Everybody there was famous. Suddenly, I heard a huge commotion, he says, in the corridor. Obviously, a thundering horde of people. It has to be George Bush, I thought. No one other than the president would attract such attention in this crowd. A mass of bodies hove into sight, flashlights popping, microphone cords dragging. It looked like a rugby scrum, except in the center was a person and not a ball. The tangle pressed through the door and the room blazed with Klieg lights. Amid the ooing and the aahing, I strained to see past the cameras into the center of the group. It wasn't the president. It was a young, blonde woman, hard to identify behind all the bobbing heads and shoulders. One man nearly knocked over Supreme Court Justice and Antonin Scalia to get a better view. Then I got a good look and recognized, recognized the center of all this attention. It was Marla Maples, smiling coyly to the cameras. Her claim to fame? She was tycoon Donald Trump's, Colson calls her girlfriend, I would rather call her concubine, the other woman in his recently fractured marriage. I stood against the wall, arms folded across my chest. What a sad commentary on our media-crazed culture, I said to a friend. Marla spent the entire evening greeting an unending procession of governors, senators, Hollywood stars, who stopped at the table, many asking for her autograph. Later, says Colson, as the speaker opened his remarks with a string of off-color jokes about Donald and Marla, a huge spotlight fell on her as she smiled and waved to the applauding crowd. And in the next morning's newspaper stories covering the event, says Colson, most of the pictures were of Marla. As I read this story, my mind suddenly shot back to Palm Sunday, which we Orthodox Christians, of course, celebrate today, when Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem with the waving of palms and accolades of praise. And I asked myself, would Jesus get the same reception if he came today? Would he? 
I think not. He would be outclassed by the gods which our secular culture has manufactured, and Marla Maples would be one of them. And yet Jesus came not only to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday, he comes also to each one of us today as the bridegroom of our soul, what kind of, re of a reception does he receive when he comes, and he comes constantly knocking on the door of your soul and mine? In the Bible, Jesus is addressed in many, many beautiful ways. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the resurrection and the life, he is the good shepherd, he is the bread of life, he is the life of the world, the light of the world. But one of my favorite titles for Jesus is that he is the bridegroom of my soul. Now, during Holy Week services that begin this evening uh, and run through Monday and Tuesday of Holy Week, the theme of these first three services of Holy Week is Christ the Bridegroom. And we sing a beautiful hymn to Christ the Bridegroom. In fact, all of these services are called the Bridegroom Services. And one of the main hymns is hymn number one on the back sheet of your bulletin. Let's read it, or rather pray it together. It's a beautiful hymn. Number one. Behold, the bridegroom comes in the midst of the night, and blessed is the servant whom he shall find watching. And again, unworthy is he whom he shall find heedless. Beware, therefore, O my soul, lest you be borne down with sleep, lest you be given up to death, and lest you be shut out from the kingdom. Wherefore, rouse yourself and cry, Holy, holy art thou, our God, through the protection of the heavenly hosts. Save us. Now this all-important title for Jesus, Bridegroom, is solidly anchored in both the Old Testament and the New Testaments, where it emphasizes, the scriptures emphasize God's personal and intimate love for us, a love that craves to be consummated in a marriage relationship between the bridegroom and the bride, the bridegroom being Christ and the bride being the church and each one of us. Now, some of the early fathers of the church state that when God said way back in the Old Testament that man shall leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, the man they say referred to here is none other than the Son of God, Jesus, who left his Father in heaven, and came to cleave to his bride, that is the church, to become one with us, and the two shall be one, as Scripture says. So being deeply in love with us, the bridegroom has come down from heaven to seek us, and he has done everything including, as we read in the liturgy every Sunday, being nailed to the cross in a garbage dump to convince us of his unstoppable love. God's love for us is not only an agape love, it is also an eros love, an erotic love, 
because he is madly, madly in love with each one of us. The Bible tells us that though we, we, we were created to be God's bride, we have become harlots chasing after false gods and goddesses like Marla, Maples, and many, many others. It is in this spiritual sense that the New Testament speaks of, quote, an adulterous generation, Matthew 13, 34. As God says in Revelation 2, 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love. Our first love is God, who first bestowed his love upon us in holy baptism. We have forsaken him and are chasing after harlots, says God's word. Now, the, the Bible very often portrays God as the spurned and the jilted lover. The image of God as a wounded lover is strong in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, for example, and especially in the book of Hosea, where God's love is acted out in a person by the name of Hosea, Hosea, who marries a prostitute who continues to be unfaithful to him after marriage. Yet, Hosea is faithful to her, seeks after her constantly and tries to bring her back. And the message is very plain. Hosea's love represents God's love for us. We are the prostitutes constantly betraying God's love. And St. John Chrysostom often refers to God's love affair with his harlot bride. The Son of Man, he says, is madly in love with a prostitute. He has to pursue her all the way into hell to save her. And in the New Testament, we have the sad picture of Jesus weeping over our unfaithfulness when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I would have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Close quote. If the world refused to come to Jesus, then it continues to reject him today in favor of the Marla Maples of this world. Now, if Jesus came to be our bridegroom, this means that when we disobey him, we are not only breaking a commandment, we are, we are also breaking a marriage vow. It means that all sin is a sin against love. When we sin, we truly break God's heart, exactly as we do in marriage when one of the spouses proves unfaithful to the other. Vance Havner described this spiritual adultery powerfully when he wrote, quote, Unfaithfulness to God is spiritual adultery. We who believe are married to Christ. 
But too many Christians have spiritual concubines. To these they give themselves, and on Sunday they give the Lord gifts and send him away quickly. And he ends by saying spiritual adultery covers any infidelity to Christ. Many a Christian who never would dream of being unfaithful to his wife is unfaithful to the Christ to whom he is joined in spiritual union and communion, especially to the Eucharist. Anything more important to you than the Lord, he says, is a concubine, a harlot, and a prostitute, close quote. How many of us then are guilty of this kind of spiritual adultery when it comes to our fidelity to the bridegroom of our soul? Now, Christ cannot be our bridegroom unless we choose to have him as such. He has already offered us in baptism a proposal for marriage, and we must respond with either a yes or a no. If the answer is yes, then we shall accept his love and love him back. Three times, you recall, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? For the Christian, there is nothing more important or greater than love. And Christ is looking not for a frozen, frigid bride. He is looking for a bride who loves him. So come each day in prayer to the Holy Spirit and ask him to release in you a fervent and burning love for Jesus. Don't just believe in Jesus. Love him. And this is the exhortation of a hymn from the bridegroom service number two, hymn number two. Let's read it together quickly. Let us love the bridegroom, brethren, and carefully tend our lanterns which are aflame with virtues and the true faith that like the wise virgins of the Lord, we may be ready to enter with him to the marriage supper for the bridegroom as God bestows a gift on all, the incorruptible crown. So there can be no real relationship between Jesus, the bridegroom, without this kind of personal, loving intimacy. All life for the Christian must be a deeper and deeper communion, an ever-expanding kinonia, fellowship between us and the bridegroom, Jesus. It must be a love that is constantly consummated in his word, in prayer, in the sacraments, especially Holy Communion. So what honor, what dignity the Lord bestows on us, what incomprehensible love, I call it a crazy love, he has for us. For like a king who raises a poor and ragged maiden to be his queen, he desires to raise us from our poverty, to heal our souls wounded by sin, to clothe us in the garden of immor in, with the garment of immortality, and to bring us into his kingdom as his bride.
In the service tonight, we shall hear the words of the hymn, Behold, the bridegroom comes. Come forth and meet him. And what an opportunity we shall have this Holy Week and Easter to truly meet him and greet him. Of course, the bridegroom is Christ. The bridal hall or chamber is the kingdom of heaven. And he comes, he comes, the hymns say, at an hour we least expect him. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour, Matthew 25, 13. The five foolish virgins, as you recall, were not prepared. There was not enough oil in their lamps to meet the bridegroom, which is another way of saying that their lives lacked faith and love and vigilance and repentance. As a, re as a result, the doors were shut and they were unable to enter the marriage feast. And there's a beautiful prayer from this service, the bridegroom service, number three, which expresses this so beautifully. Number three, a one-liner. A one Let's read it together. Grant that we might not be left out of the bridal chamber of Christ. So the beautiful hymns of the bridegroom service emphasize the need for our being constantly prepared for the coming of the bridegroom preparation that is made constantly, daily, through vigilance, through prayer, through repentance. And they warn us, these beautiful hymns of the bridegroom service, that there are some things, such as the salvation of our soul, for which we must prepare all of our lives. They cannot be gotten at the last minute on your deathbed just before you die. When a chaplain sought to explain the way of salvation to a dying person, the dying person said to the chaplain, quote, I have not left this important matter to this final hour. Close quote. Behold, the bridegroom comes. He comes again this Holy Week to consummate his love for us on the cross. He comes to raise us up. In order, but in order to do so, he descends into the lowest depths of human suffering and degradation. He comes to meet you, the bride, and bring you to the marriage feast where he desires, to, he desires for you not to be just his guest, but his bride. In the end, when all is said and done, someone said, and life is over, death will come, either as a bridegroom to claim a bride, or is a thief to rob us of heaven? Which will it be for you? Let us pray together the final hymn, number four, as the concluding prayer. O Christ, the bridegroom, my soul has slumbered in laziness. I have no lamp aflame with virtues. Like the foolish virgins, I wander aimlessly when it is time for work. 
but do not close thy compassionate heart to me, O Master. Rouse me, shake off my heavy sleep, lead me with the wise virgins into the bridal chamber. Amen. <laughs>